Well, good morning, everybody. It's my privilege to welcome you, and I'd love to join in the whole Father's Day celebration. I wish all you dads, or even those that have just served as a father figure to somebody in their life, a very happy Father's Day. Now, our world is in need of some dads who will be present. Not necessarily perfect, not looking for perfect dads, just those who will be present, who will dig in for the long haul and will love their kids with grace, with a level of humility, with wisdom and strength. I love this picture because God created humanity to need fathers. They're not an optional force in our world. He told us even to think of God and to reach out to him as father. So he's really committed to the whole idea of fatherhood. And dads, I love that for you because God stands with you in a special way. He wants to walk with you, help you become the man and the father that you were really designed to be. So I'm really glad that you're here to celebrate that. I don't know what you were thinking, though, as you listened to the song just a minute ago. Beyond it just being like a fun, old-fashioned rock song, it kept refraining. I don't know if you could pick up the, the chorus of it is, what makes a good man? What makes a man good? It's an interesting question. And especially in light of Father's Day, what makes, what kind of person makes a great dad? What kind of person could make a great dad? I've been thinking about this a little bit more recently because uh, I'm about to become a father again. Uh, McCarty boy number three arrives sometime in the next few weeks uh, for us, and we're super excited about that. Just a little bit longer, okay? Just a, Sorry, it's my wife down there. Just like, just... Just give us time. We're still adjusting to the idea. Uh, I've been a father for over seven years now, and it's been a fun ride. And, but I'm thinking about that song, and I'm, I provoked a little bit of reflection in me this week. I got three men that are going to be looking to me for guidance in what it means to be a good man. And it started me thinking, like, over the last seven years, I'm no pro at this, but what have I learned? What, where do I still need to grow in all this? And as I thought about it, there was something else that I started to notice. And men, maybe you can relate. It's not enough. It's not enough to, to aim at just being a good dad to my kids. That's not all that my life really needs. Don't get me wrong, being a great dad is a really good thing. It's an important thing. But being a good dad doesn't necessarily make you a great husband. Doesn't make you a great friend. Doesn't mean that you'll be a great employee, a great leader, a great whatever, fill in the blank. Now, being a good dad might help in those areas, but it doesn't guarantee that you'll be good at other things. Even if I'm a good dad, I can still miss the mark in a lot of other ways in my life. But what if there was something that you could aim at that had a lifting effect on every part of your life? What if you could aim at something perhaps beyond being a good dad or a mom or a, a, or a good spouse or a good whatever, and what if it lifted everything in your life? I'm really convinced more and more that that's actually true. So what I'm going to do is set aside what you may expect as a traditional Father's Day message, and I'm going to re-aim us at something different that has the potential to help us all, men, women. Children, dad, mom, single, whatever and whoever you are, I think this could help us all be something more. It's something we can all aim at. And I want to start you by pointing you to a statement made by Jesus that would be really easy to overlook because it's pretty small, but buried in it is a massive idea. 
So if you've got your Bible, feel free to open it or you can follow along on the screen. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. One verse. Small thought, big idea. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Simple idea. Here is Jesus speaking on his favorite topic. If you haven't read much of the Gospels, then you just need to know Jesus constantly talked about the kingdom of heaven. In other places, it's written as the kingdom of God. He was always trying to explain this core idea. What is life like in God's kingdom? And when he said God's kingdom, he didn't mean when you die far, far away and forever. He meant here and now. That God's kingdom may have forever implications, but it could begin as an experiential reality in the here and now. And what's that like? What would that be like for us? That's what Jesus constantly talked about. So he would pick like these ideas and say, it's kind of like this. And he says, in this instance, it's like stumbling onto a vast treasure that in the end, you're glad to part with everything else you own to lay hold of this. That's kind of what it's like. It's something like that. Why? Because in the end, it's trading up. You don't really think about what you lost because of what you gained. What you give away is small in comparison to what you walk away with. That's the picture that he paints with this parable. It says, the man says, in his joy, he went and sold all he had. Let me just ask you a question. What would have that effect on you? Like, what would you gladly sell all you own to lay hold of? Is there anything that really kind of, I mean, maybe you could think of a couple things that could strain credibility that you could fit into that. Gladly enjoy, sell everything I have. Jesus says that is life in God's kingdom. Under God's authority, under his rule, a part of what God is doing in the world, he says that is the most valuable thing that you could ever have. The only problem is what? It doesn't really seem like it. I know that it's like, hey, we're all in church. We probably should agree that's probably the most valuable thing. But most of us don't act like that. We don't live like that's worth having it all for. And man, if I could just get some of God's kingdom, well then, man, I'll, I'll gladly sign away everything that I have. I mean, it might be worth giving away a Sunday morning or two here or there, but if I could get a little bit of God in my life, if that's a nice ratio, but selling all I own, what are we really talking about here? And that is exactly what Jesus' parable is designed to do. It's designed to challenge your value system. Maybe you don't see the true worth of life in God's kingdom if it doesn't seem that valuable to you. And that's what Jesus is trying to get you to think. Reassess the value here. Dads, maybe you can relate. It made me think of a real-life picture with my son not too long ago. This past Christmas... I came up with a fantastic gift for my seven-year-old son, Wyatt. Now, you got to know this about Wyatt. He's a huge Star Wars fan, okay? A huge Star Wars fan. He loves the movies. He loves the animated series. He's got the Lego toys. He's got it all. And when he heard about that there was a new Star Wars movie coming out last Christmas, The Last Jedi, this was a big deal to him, all right? Like, he really wanted to see this. This is kind of like, the, his, he's been a, a, a seven years old now, so he's like an, a, practically an adult in his mind, and it was time to actually go see this movie in the theater. I knew he'd be thrilled to see it. So I went about creating this father-son experience, all right? Dads, maybe you can totally relate. Of like, all right, I'm going to put some energy into this one. 
So I was going to surprise him with an outing to the theater. I went ahead and bought the tickets online. We're going to get the biggest bucket of popcorn. We're going to, all this sort of stuff. We're going to get the best seats, everything. So the day finally comes, and I just walk into his room really casually. He's playing with like an iPad or something like that. And I remember I sat down on, and with him and said, hey, Wyatt, I need you to stop what you're doing right now. Go get dressed. We were like early in the morning. I was like, I want you to go ahead and kind of get suited up for the day because you and me are going right now to see The Last Jedi in the movie theater. And I'm like, this is the best gift ever. And it had a very unexpected response. <laughs> he looked at me like kind of like soaked it all in for a minute. And then I'm not kidding, like absolutely serious. He looked at me and said, no. Like he screamed like, no, I, I want to stay here. I want to stay here and play games. I don't want to go to see The Last Jedi. I'm like, what? <laughs> totally thrown off by this. Like he's screaming in my face. And so for the next, I kid you not, 20 minutes, we argued. We had a debate about the merits of seeing The Last Jedi as being better than what he had in mind. But in the end, he would not have it. So in the end, I, on this big, like, ah, father-son experience, I go and get my money back online for the tickets, and I sit with him and do what he does pretty much every single day, which is not that much. <laughs> Wyatt did not understand the treasure being offered to him. Just didn't compute for some reason. Didn't make sense. He said he would prefer an iPad and some games... And for some reason, letting go of those little things seemed like far too expensive of a proposition to lay hold of something unknown. It just didn't add up as valuable. I think when we approach life in the kingdom of God, we often come the same way that Wyatt did. We think what we have is far too valuable to let go of, not realizing what is actually being offered to us. The whole experience with Wyatt made me think of this great quote by author C.S. Lewis. He says this, We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That was stunning to me. And I think it was stunning to Jesus, which is why the kingdom of God was his primary message. It was his favorite topic. He couldn't stop talking about it. In fact, it was some of his first recorded words. Like one of Jesus' first sermons went something like this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was it. I mean, maybe like just one sentence and everybody go home. No, he spent a lot of time, but he developed this idea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when you hear that, when I hear that 2,000 years removed from his original sort of preaching of that message, it doesn't pack quite the punch that it did to the people who were listening to that for the first time. In fact, there's a lot of things that might come up in your mind that would never have occurred to the people who heard that for the first time. So, I thought maybe I could take just a minute and try to do a little like 2,000 year translation and try to bring it into your world a little bit of why that message would have even mattered to the people listening. Why would it have caught their attention? He started with repent. Now, that's a pretty loaded word for us now, but it wasn't necessarily the same thing because when he said it, repent wasn't about religious guilt that you need to go scrub off. Repent. 
It wasn't about holding a sign on a street corner because the end of the world is coming or something like that. It had none of those connotations. In fact, the word that Jesus says when he says repent means something more like rethink your plan for your life or reconsider what you're settling for right now. It was, it was meant to stop somebody in their track and get them to think because we each have assumptions. We each have paradigms that kind of run in the background about how life works, what matters the most, how you should live. And most of that, like I said, kind of runs here in the background. And we don't think about it. It's just, it's common sense to us. It's the way things are. Jesus says, don't drift. Don't just careen through your life. Stop and reconsider how you're living. And then he tees up in light of a fantastic opportunity that's right in front of you. Don't just breeze through it. So he says, the kingdom of heaven. Now, again, that's kind of a, we think of heaven and we immediately think of angels and clouds and harps and all that sort of stuff. But that kingdom of heaven was a concept that the people he was preaching to would have been really familiar with. The Jewish concept of God was that he was king over all the universe, but he didn't rule from a far, far distance away. He was here and he was present. Heaven, that the word that we see there, the kingdom of heaven, also means sky. It would have included the concept of atmosphere right here. So the kingdom of heaven is like saying, not God's kingdom far, far away, perhaps in another dimension, far beyond space and time. It's like, no, the kingdom that is here, that is present, God's rule that's right here around us in the atmosphere. He rules from this place. It's a very Jewish way of saying that that kingdom is here and now. And from Jewish history, though, you could surmise, and they did too, that life was not going according to God's kingdom. It may be around, but it's not necessarily leading everything. In fact, a lot of life on earth goes very contrary to how God's kingdom would have it. And then he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, that's kind of an old archaic way of saying when something is at hand, it's immediately accessible. It's right there. It's available to you. This podium is at hand. It's right here. It's available to me. While God's kingdom here and present among us was a known reality and the way a life on earth should be going wasn't going the way that it was expected to, accessibility to that kingdom seemed to be pretty sketchy. It's like people knew it was there, but how do you lock into it? How do you get into God's kingdom? How do you live from that place? And Jesus shows up saying, reconsider how you've been living. Stop and consider a remarkable new opportunity. Trade up. Life in God's kingdom is now available. It's a pretty bold statement from Jesus. And in fact, he seemed to be the key to the kingdom itself. Now, that's kind of walking through the Bible, but let me kind of bring that in. You remember, the kingdom of God is like this, Jesus would often say. Think of it like this. There was a time not that long ago when our country did not have an abundance of electrical power. What you got was from lightning, and that was about it. It wasn't universally available to everybody, and life was different because of it. You washed your clothes by hand. You didn't store food that needed to be refrigerated. You ate it or you threw it away. You know, we didn't really hang on to a whole lot. You didn't watch things. You didn't listen to programming and TV, no radio, no internet, no nothing else. And when it was night, you went to bed. 
Uh, you didn't stay up unless you had a candle and you wanted to do it that way. But there was just a different way of life because of what and what wasn't available. But then there came a moment when the government started running power lines into all sorts of different areas of our country. And, and there, a power that had previously not been available was accessible. Behold, the kingdom of electricity is at hand, is basically what our government was saying to people. And suddenly you could trade up. You could trade out things like a washboard for a washing machine. You could forget the rotting food and get a refrigerator. You, could, you don't have a candle, you can have a can light. I mean, like all this sort of stuff started becoming available to people. But do you know something really strange in the whole process that most of us wouldn't even know now unless you were around back then? Some people resisted it. They were not into the whole kingdom of electricity thing. They genuinely thought my life would be better off without all that stuff. Some of you may think that here and there, but still, there was a power that was available that could improve your life on many, many levels. And some people were just going, you know what? Not my thing. They couldn't let go of the old life for the new one that was being offered to them. And in a very similar way, the kingdom of God has come. It is available to you. It is the offer of a lifetime. If you want to think about it like this, the lines have been extended to your house. And all you have to do is receive the offer. Take, like avail yourself of it to the power that is now available to you to vastly change your life for the better. It's all within your grasp. But what does that look like? What does it really look like? What is Jesus actually offering? Are we just talking about some religious sentiment here? What does a person look like when they are plugged in to the kingdom of God? To explain that, I want to take you to one of the most famous passages in all the Bible. In fact, you've probably heard it before. You often hear the scripture read when someone dies. That's probably the most common time that you hear it. But it's kind of ironic because it's a really profound offer of how to live. And it's Psalm 23. You may be familiar with it. I'm going to read it. Just kind of get your mind around it. Again, as soon as you hear it, you may recognize it from another part of your life. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." I think we read that a lot of times at funerals because it provides some level of comfort. But even as I was reading it just then, I don't know what stands out to you. But here's what I want you to try on for a minute. Consider that what I just read, what, try this on. What if that was a description of your life? What if that was your everyday waking up experience of living or life as it would be, plugged in to the kingdom of God? What characterizes your life when you're a part of the kingdom of God? What, what if this was you? Think about that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's kind of an older way of saying, I don't have lack. 
I'm not missing anything. There's no place in my life where I feel this aching need, like there's something that I should be happening. Because you have a shepherd. You have someone who's taking care of you. You have somebody that provides. And if you're not lacking anything, well, then you live in abundance. Abundance could be a marker for your life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. That is a deep level of contentment, of rest. Not a lot of stress, not a lot of anxiety in that life. Another way to characterize that might be peace. That your experience of life would be this kind of flowing, kind of like a river underneath this current, ever peace underneath, no matter what's going on. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. Can you imagine not wondering which way to go in your life, but having a sense of kind of being steered towards the right outcomes, the right directions, not just having to make it up as you go? Well, then that would be a life characterized by guidance. The sense of, wow, somebody who knows the way is steering me through. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me the scriptures say. What about a life where you're never alone? And no matter what you face, no matter how dark it actually gets, the threats are not greater than the one that is with you. Well, that would be a life marked by courage. I fear no evil in this. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's talking about a cup overflowing and anointing my head with oil. What about a life where God has your back? Even when you're not sure what's going on, even when you've got enemies working against you, he treats you to dinner while they are confounded at the same time. You've got what you need when you need it. Your cup overflows. Well, that is another great word for blessing. There's this sense of blessedness about your life, that you're not the one making it up on your own. Goodness, your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So not only do you have this sense of goodness tracking with you every single day, walking with you, tracing your steps, you've got this assurance that even when this life comes to an end, death won't end everything. In fact, that same life of goodness and mercy shall follow you. It'll just follow you right on into the next place. There's this sense of pervasive security that comes with it, of going, you know what? I'm going to be okay in the end. Goodness and mercy is following me. It doesn't mean everything is perfect because I walk through the valley of the shadow of death at times, but there is one who is with me. This is what life looks like plugged in to the kingdom of God. And what if it was your life what if somebody said your name and said, oh yeah, abundance, peace, guidance, courage. Like, these are the words that come to mind when I think of that person. Hard to imagine? Well, try this one on. This was the everyday experience of Jesus' life. This is what he walked around living in all the time. He lived plugged in to the kingdom of God. Part of the reason that Jesus lived as a human being such an extraordinary life is that he practiced what he actually preached to people. He talked to them about the kingdom because he was living from it, like drawing life from it like a deep well all the time and said, look, it's here. It's available to you through me. He didn't have a bank account his entire life, like recorded life, but he never lacked 
In fact, he walked around with like this abundance of life's true riches and, and constantly enriched other people's life just for having been in their presence. You want to talk about peace? The man le- slept through raging storms while everybody else on the boat was freaking out. He moved from one moment to the next, always seeming like he was in the right place at the right time. How did he do that? Or even when he was staring down probably the worst moment of his life, just a few hours before he knew he was going to be brutally executed by the Roman government through crucifixion. It's not necessarily the path he looked forward to. It was a valley of the shadow of death. But he found courage to get up and walk right into it. How did he do all this? God was with him. Psalm 23 describes Jesus' life perfectly. And here's the thing. It's not just for Jesus. He offers it to you. This is his offer. This is his invitation. The offer of a lifetime is absolutely available to you. The good news, or what the Bible refers to in ancient language as the gospel, is that Jesus came to announce life in God's kingdom is now available through trusting Jesus, taking him at his word, and becoming his follower, his disciple, learning from him. He wants to show us. He wants to teach you how to live your life in the kingdom of God. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to make you like a religious life. He wants to transform your everyday waking moment into a Psalm 23 experience of the goodness of God. Jesus is master at it, and he invites you to learn from him. That's the invitation. That is the good news. The everyday, ordinary moments of your life are the perfect training ground to live in the kingdom of God, to plug in and experience an entirely different quality of life, a life that, yes, cannot be restrained and will ultimately transfer on into forever. It's why he called it eternal life. But it begins here and now. This is the treasure he spoke of. And I admit It all sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like if that was really you, if you woke up tomorrow and like all those things are just instantly true of me, well, sometimes it takes a little time, but I think we also have to take into account the price tag. But to give away all you own for that, to sell it all, is that really what I would want to do? Well, before you get kind of weary, leery of the price tag, let's see what we're actually holding on to. What would life be like if you just delete God from the equation and just sort of hang on to your kingdom? I'm not interested in God's kingdom. I'll just hold on to mine. Well, here's a version of Psalm 23 minus God that might actually sound a little bit more familiar to some of us. No one is looking out for me. I got to make sure I get mine. I'm exhausted and anxious. I cannot find rest. Life is chaotic and swirling around me. My soul is stretched thin and tattered. I have no idea which way I should go. I'm just guessing. I'm so afraid of the things I cannot control and fearful of what I could suffer or lose. Our world is a terrifying place and getting worse. I'm ready to fight and claw my way through because no one is looking out for me. I've got to make sure I get mine. Brief tastes of pleasure are the best I can expect because who knows what comes next. There's no one there to look out for me, so I won't get my hopes up. 
It's like the alternate version of Psalm 23. How do the mud pies look now? Like suddenly it's like, wait a minute, is that really the alternative? If you were to kind of walk that through, I see these words defining that kind of life. Scarcity instead of abundance, anxiety, uncertainty, fear running through like veins in a mine, exhaustion, insecurity. That's a life outside of the kingdom of God. Is that what we're holding on to? Is that what we can't bear to part with? Friends, the greatest treasure in life is not the stuff you can accumulate. It is the kind of person you are becoming. That's the treasure in the end. So which direction are you headed in? What's the quality of the kingdom that you are living in? Jesus says, give away everything you have to lay hold of this. If it comes down to it, take hold of this at all costs. Is this really worth hanging on to? It's funny to me that we read this psalm at funerals. (laughs) We wait until the very end of someone's life, but you don't have to wait until you die to start living your life in the kingdom of God. Do you know what you could do? You could pick this because Jesus says it's an offer available to you. You could actually just rip up this sad story and you could start choosing to live here. You could just say, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to, even if I have to sell all I have, I'm going to start moving in that direction. You could trade up and exchange it for a remarkable treasure. Even if you have no idea how that exactly would work, it starts with a willing heart. Is that the direction that you want to move? Jesus' invitation is, come be my disciple. Learn from me. In fact, that is exactly why you want to be here next week, because that's what we're going to be digging into. What does that look like? How do you do that? How do you actually put that on? Jesus does not want you to be a casual observer. He says, this is a treasure in a field, and it's worth all you have to lay hold of it. But how do you actually lay hold of that kind of treasure? That's why you got to be here next week, okay? That's why you got to be here, because not every approach will get you there. Not every approach will get you there. I want to finish this Father's Day, though, by giving you just one more picture of what life in the kingdom looks like, a real life story about a man who found the treasure and then took hold of it. And I know this man well because that man was my dad. My father, his name's John, was 60 years old and 30 years into the ministry when it occurred to me to ask a, converse, uh, to ask a question of him one day. He had come to our church and was sort of hanging out after the service. And I just felt this kind of question impressed on my heart, and it was this. Hey, Dad, when did this life with Jesus really begin for you? Partly, I'd never heard him actually tell the story of how this had all started. But more importantly, I saw a real lack of Psalm 23 in my dad's life. It was kind of hit and miss. And it just made me concerned, so I wanted to find out more. And to my surprise, he said this. You know, it's really interesting that you asked that because I've been thinking about that question a lot. And honestly, I don't know. I grabbed some friends and we just sat down. We kind of went into the auditorium, kind of down at the front row, and we just started to talk with him. 
And my dad told us an interesting story, kind of laid out a lot of his life. And he told us about all these things, you know, kind of like he referred to them as God moments in his life, kind of like where God would show up and things would kind of get better for just a little bit. But then he would kind of just ride the wave until the next God moment. But somehow those things didn't seem to add up to a God life for him. And we kept talking for a little while and it became really clear though he was the pastor. My dad was a pastor and preached this message his whole life. Somehow he had never experienced abundance, peace, guidance, courage, blessing, security in a true and lasting sort of way. And I just shared with him, I was like, Dad, the treasure is still there for you. It's right there. It's available to you. And it was interesting to watch him sort of process through that because he realized there was going to be a cost to lay a hold of that. The cost was mainly pride because he was 60 years old, three decades as a pastor. It was a long time to be so close and still be completely missing it. But for some reason, for my dad, age 60, it became a pretty easy calculation because I think this is what he felt And I remember when he looked at me and just said, with words I'll never forget, he goes, I just want it to be real. And so we prayed with him right there. He bowed his head and kind of like a little child received the treasure. He stepped in to the kingdom of God. He relinquished his kingdom and took hold of the true and lasting treasure. And afterwards... We were celebrating. I could not believe it that my dad had actually just become a follower of Christ. And he looks at me and says, you know, we should take a picture. And I'm like, dad, we'll absolutely take a picture to mark this moment. He said, no, 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 not right here. Why don't we go over to the kids area? I remember there's like a sign that says infants through kindergartners. And I guess that's what I am right now. Like I've just started this whole thing. And my dad, 60 years into his life, got it. In fact, here's a copy of that picture right there, as my dad having just taken hold of the treasure. Friends, my dad found out firsthand that day, it can be real. It's all real. My encouragement to you is that it can be real for you. So don't settle. Trade up. Let's pray. God, thank you for the chance to gather here today. Thanks for the roles that these fathers, like my dad, have played in my life. But thank you that there is no one, no matter how old or too young, no matter what they've done or what they haven't done, it's all available to them. At any moment, we can turn our back on a very dissatisfying life and put our trust squarely in you and start to follow you to start learning from you how to live in this kingdom. And I pray that over these next couple weeks as we dig back into this idea, that you would show us, that you would teach us, that you would move us forward. And I pray for the families. I know my family was utterly impacted by that day. I pray that our families would become marked by people who let go of the old and are willing to lay hold of the treasure that's really trading up. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, as you're about to take off here, just a couple quick thoughts as you're leaving today, okay? 
One, I really would love for you to be here next week. We're going to keep digging into this. If your uh, father is here with you or you're a dad, they got some fun stuff. There's putting greens out there in the area. There's a photo booth. Make sure you snap a picture with your dad before you leave. If you want to attend Starting Gate, please make sure you stop by before you leave at the New Here table. And our prayer team is here as always. You guys have a great week and we'll see you next time. Bye.